Amen. Well, um, normally I pray through the week of what the Lord would put on my heart to share, but almost immediately after leaving church last week, uh, God dropped the word in my heart of exactly what he wanted me to speak on. It has not left me. I've massaged it all week long. I said, are you sure that no other direction? But this is exactly what he told me. So I'm excited, and I think there's going to be something today that is going to help us because I feel like there's been some people who have felt stuck um, stuck, dry and stuck. And I believe that God wants to bring a revelation to you today that's going to encourage you and help you to get unstuck. So let's pray a blessing on the word and we'll dive right in. Father, we just bless you again and thank you for the privilege we have not only to be in this, this house, not only, not only to bless our missionaries and to do outreach that is beyond these walls, but now we get the privilege, God, of opening up your word to hear a revelation from heaven to our hearts May you be with the words that you have given to me and help me to communicate as you would delight in. And Father, bless the hearers, those who are at home, those who are here, those who may be watching a recording. May they feel your favor and your love. Go before us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, also last Sunday, other than just me getting a good word from the Lord as I was home with my son, uh, my wife was hanging out with Miss Becca and they went out and did some girl stuff and when they were coming home, I see the car pulling up onto the driveway, but instead of getting uh, uh, the sound of the door opening, I get a phone call. And the phone call is from my wife, and she says, um, well, I'm still in the car because our neighbor's German shepherd is uh, out of the yard and eating our trash. <laughs> and he went through every single bag. I put the trash out on Sunday nights, so it was full. And he went through all those avocado peels, all, I mean, paint stuff and, and projects we were working, all that stuff he went through. And so I said, well, she, we found out, is a she. Um, I, she's like, what do you want me to do? I said, well, I can escort you to the door. I'll come out and I'll help you. And she's all, but, but what if it's nice? Can I just go outside and see what happens? And I said, well, I'm going to pretend like you didn't just say that. You know, my wife should know that I already have an unhealthy fear of large dogs because of things that have happened in the past. Uh, but she, she, that's my wife. You know, she's fearless in that area and she loves the animals. But uh, no, I escorted her to the door. Everything was fine. But it took three days until I could actually see my neighbor. They, they just park and go right into their house. So never got to meet them. I met everybody else. So finally, I see one of them out there and I go up to him and, and uh, I say, hey, uh, just so you know, if your dog is, has an upset stomach, uh, he ate my garbage. Is it a he or she? It's a she. So I've been calling it Cujo, but what's the real name? And, and it's Carly, by the way. It's Carly's the name of the German Shepherd and got the phone number in case the next time. And the reason why I'm so timid with dogs, and, and some of you have heard stories about uh, pranks people have played on me with big dogs and seeing a, a neighborhood friend of mine being viciously mauled by two large dogs in our neighborhood. But one real traumatic experience, I, I had just got my training wheels off and I was riding my bike a lot in the neighborhood that I grew up in. And one day I see the neighbor's uh, golden retriever, which was still a puppy, but very big. And it was out in the front yard. And so I'm thinking if a dog is laying down in the front yard, it's probably on a leash. I have no worry. And I keep going in my circles. It wasn't on a leash. And this dog sees this cute little Mexican piece of carne asada, like rotisserie, just cruising around in the cul-de-sac and decides to go on the hunt and on the pursuit. So of course, I flip my bike around the direction of my garage and I pedal as fast as my little five or six-year-old legs could go. And this thing was right out of a movie. I mean, these dripping fangs are inching closer and closer to my back tire. And I'm like, oh my Lord. And right in the moment where it's about to bite my tire, I crash right into a park van. 
I mean head first. I'm not talking these cute little minivans, you know, the soccer moms and dads are driving around in. I'm talking like 1978 Ford Econoline van. This thing is like a bus, 15 passengers, boom. I mean, and the dog looks at me and was like, well, that was dumb, and just kind of takes off, and I, I scurry right into the house. So let me ask a very obvious question. Why did I crash into that car that day? I was looking behind me. I wasn't looking where I needed to go. And the word that God gave to me this Sunday was not to look back. I want to deliver a message here this morning called Don't Look Back. Don't look back. And I'm not talking about looking back to like testimonies and all the good things God has done for you. I'm talking about don't look back to the traumatic things or the issues or the enemy who's on the chase and keep all your focus on over your shoulder rather than God's back. You know, the scriptures say that surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. So we don't have to go pursuing good things. If we're a child of God, good things are going to follow us. We just need to keep our eyes on the shepherd. We need to keep our eyes on the Father, but many times we look back in our past over traumas, over issues, over bad circumstances, over our failures and our sins, and we seem to get engaged with those, obsessed with those, focus on those, and we completely miss out on what God is trying to show us or do, and we end up hurting ourselves. And I really want to break through that today. And Jesus speaks about not looking back. And all throughout the Bible, we see uh, great examples of not looking back. One of them, as you know, Lot's wife, who they were told, just look ahead, don't look back. And for whatever reason, she had to look at the gossip and the drama, like a bad wreck on the side of the road, don't look. But she had to look, and she turned into a pillar of salt. What's so funny is that Gabriel growing up, uh, we read to him this little picture children's Bible story book. And so every night we would just pick a one-page Bible story to read to him. And it, it never failed that after we read whatever was on the next story to read, he would always ask to reread the story of Lot's wife turning into a pillar of salt. And so there's pictures of it. And he, for whatever reason, absolutely loved. That was like his favorite Bible verse, like all throughout elementary school was Lot's wife turned into a pillar of salt because she looked back. But in Luke chapter nine, verse 62, Jesus says, he said to him, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God, fit for the kingdom of God. If you're not focused on the Father, focused on your destination, focused on, on earth as it is in heaven, you're gonna be focused on something else, being stuck in your past. And many of us know somebody who's stuck in the past. Many of us are dealing with those same things. Some of us had a hurt that we're still healing from and for whatever reason are having a difficult time trying to get past it. In my own family right now, we're going through something uh, pretty difficult and that my sister who's, who's just had a very difficult life period now is uh, couch surfing and going from motel to motel. And my uh, three-year-old niece is now being under the custody of my mom. Lots to pray for. But uh, I was in the office uh, late on a Thursday and I'm working on a sermon and uh, my sister accidentally FaceTimes me. And she didn't mean to do it, but I was sitting there and normally I'll either call her back or sometimes she sends me out of, out of this craziness uh, stuff that I'm like, I don't even know how to respond to that. But I felt from the Lord, just push the button. So I did. And I caught my sister off guard and had this conversation with her. And, you know, I'm just trying to keep it up, upbeat and saying, hey, we were praying for you this morning and all these type of things. And she just continued to go back to the same hurts of her past, the same things from her childhood, which were very traumatic, but she never found healing from it. And when you never find the healing, 
you'll get stuck in that area and miss out on everything that God has for you, that is provided for you. The freedoms and the breakthroughs and the healing and all the things that you need are found in him. But we're the ones who are in charge of where we direct our focus. God will not force you to focus on him. We are the only ones who have the, the, the responsibility to completely look forward and not behind us. You'll find yourself so unhappy if you live in the past. And to live in the past means that you're distracted from God's presence. Staying stuck in the past means that you're stunting your spiritual growth because you're not focused on the new things God's trying to do for you. You're stuck on the old things. It sabotages your, your future. And so today, I really feel God wants to deliver a word to help bring not just an encouragement, but a fresh revelation personally to you and to me and to those who are watching, how we can look ahead to the great things that God has for us. So today in the scripture, I want to go to the book of Philippians, chapter 3. And as always, I'm reading out of the New American Standard. It's my favorite. I think God gives special blessings to people who read out of the New American Standard. Just my humble opinion. <laughs> We're going to go to chapter 3, verse 7. I'm 37 years old, but does anybody still do that little thing in your head? Uh, go eat pork chops, Galatians, <laughs> Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, yeah. Uh, I'll, be, I'll be 60 years old still doing that. Verse 7 of chapter 3. And what's so amazing about the book of Philippians is that you have Paul, who writes probably the happiest book in the Bible. The Bible that speaks, or the book that speaks so much about rejoicing and it's a letter that was penned in prison. So here's somebody who is in a dungeon and suffering for the gospel, probably hungry, probably beaten, in a prison, no idea what the future is going to look like, and writes one of the happiest books in the Bible. It's incredible. But in, in chapter 3, there's just this phenomenal thing that he says as far as his focus. Beginning in verse 7, But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of many things and count them but rubbish that I may gain Christ. Pause there for a second. I think it's, it's very interesting to see that Paul is not only considering all the bad things that happened to him as rubbish, he's also considering all the good things that they pale in comparison to the love that he has found in Jesus. So it's not just getting you know, rid of, all, getting stuck by focusing on the bad things. It's also finding a love so strong in Jesus that even the good things that happen to your life are still no, no contest towards the love of God and the satisfaction that he brings to us. Verse nine, and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Righteousness, needing to know fully our identity, that our sins have been forgiven, that we are hidden in Christ, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In verse 10, and that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus." Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. 
Let us therefore, as many are perfect, have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also. God brings revelation. And finally, verse 16, however, let us keep living by the same standard which we have attained. And so I just, I love this so much about Paul and saying, a lot of bad things have happened to me, but hey, I got all things in Christ. I can do all things to him who gives me strength. He says, a lot of great things have happened. They have led people to the Lord. They, they have performed signs, wonders, and miracles. But even that, I just want Jesus. I don't care that I'm in a prison. I don't care that I've been treated unfairly and almost killed. I don't care that I've been shipwrecked. I just want Jesus. And that can happen naturally as you draw closer to God. But for many of us, it needs to be a discipline that we work into our lives to keep our focus on him so that our love can continue to grow and we know him more, know his power, know who we are as far as righteousness, and that God can start doing some great things in and through our lives. So a few bits of encouragement if you're taking notes. You can fill these things in. They're right there in your bulletin. But point number one, in order to get beyond our past and to not look back, First thing is that we have to stop reliving past trauma and pray for restoration. More than just a freedom from our bad circumstances and pain, we need God to really bring us a revelation. We really need restoration. I was listening to the radio years ago, and they were talking about back in the days when we had telephones that were still on the wall, and they had like that 50-foot like corded, braided thingy so that you can, you can walk into the next room for privacy and then somewhat close the door and then talk to whoever. And then only one person can talk on the phone at one time. Does anybody still have a phone on their wall? You still have one on your wall? You don't still have a pager, do you? <laughs> uh, yeah. Everybody's got the cell phone, but they, you know, you got, you got to put like a, a picture frame around your phone on the wall because it's like, it's part of history, you know, or you see a payphone on the side of the road. But, so they were talking about funny stories about your old phone that used to be on the wall with that long cord. And one lady calls in and she says that she had a brand new puppy. And then for whatever reason, one day the phone rang and the phone fell off of the wall and landed on the puppy. Now years, I'm talking eight, nine years down the road, that dog, now dog, still runs out the door every time the phone rings. It got hit one time, but it associated when that thing rings, I'm going to get some pain and I'm out of here. And in the same way, the same way that that dog took one trauma and let it dictate the rest of its life, we can go through trauma and let those things dictate the rest of our lives. We can experience a pain and it, it resurfaces all the time. And then we react to that and we have fear because of that and we miss out opportunities because of that. I was uh, with a good friend of mine who was, who was, he went on to be with the Lord, but an amazing spiritual counselor. And, and I would go to him for personal things. And my wife and I went to him when we were still young in our marriage and got some great tools about our marriage and our relationship through him. And I, I asked him a question. I'm like, what do you do and deal with reactions? You know, like when you're having just a normal day at home, and you say just that one little thing that really means nothing, but for whatever reason, it causes your spouse to explode, you know, or you say something that triggers something. And then there's just like, just this outbreak, this aggression. It's like, where in the world did that come from? And then you're upset because I don't deserve to be treated that way. I didn't do anything. We're just having fun here. Why are you so upset? And then what he described to me, he goes, everybody has past wounds. It's kind of like you've been shot in the chest with an arrow. And you got this big arrow that's sticking out of you. And everywhere you go, you're knocking stuff over the counters and so forth. And so what do you do? You break that arrow off. And that's what people call healing, that we broke this arrow off. I'm good. But the true healing comes when you have to dig that arrow head out. 
It's a painful process. We take away the surface level stuff, but I'm in public, so put on a good face stuff, but there's still something deep inside that needs healing. And so what ends up happening for spouses or close friends or siblings is that we have this wound here. We don't have the, the wooden part of the arrow that's sticking out anymore. We still have the arrowhead. So everything's going fine and dandy, but then one day somebody accidentally hits that arrowhead and it causes a lot of pain and they lash out. So we need to bring our traumas to the Lord. We need to go to him with our past hurts because God is a God of restoration. In John 10, 10, it says that the thief, the devil, comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come to give life and life to its fullest. But then we read in Joel, the prophetic book of Joel, chapter 2, verse 25, and, and God declares to his people, I will restore everything that you have lost. I will restore everything that the enemy has taken from you, from your farms and from your fields and from your families and from your jobs and all that. I will be your restorer. God is a restorer. Now, we've all gone, gone through stuff. My wife and my family and I, we, we were homeless at one point. We had a senior pastor stab us in the back, and we lost out on a great opportunity to, to lead a church. Horrible things that have happened. I've shared the stories with you guys before. But I'm not upset over what happened. What I'm upset over is that because of that trauma, because of those bad circumstances, I lost something. I lost my peace. I lost a little bit of my hope. I lost some joy. I got numb. So though I was able to forgive, though I was able to say, we've been through it, but God is a good God and won't he do it? And he's gonna lead me through it again. And I have all the hope of what God can do. Even though I did that, there was still a little part of me that died. And so I don't care what happened. I wanna go before God and say, restore to me. I want my joy back. I want my peace back. I want my sleep back. I want my money back. Devil, get your hands off my money, right? God, I want you to be this great restorer, and that's who he is. He's a God of restoration. But again, he's also a God who has given us free will. And so though he can restore, we got to be the ones to come before him with our hurts and our knees and say, God, what do you say about this? God, what do you want to do? If you didn't know by now, or however long you've been a believer, that there is a cost to your restoration, there is something you got to give in order to get that healing, something you have to commit to in order to get that healing. There's a cost. I remember years ago when a, a wonderful friend of mine uh, gave me my dream car, a 1962 Chevrolet Impala 327 engine sport. Come on, Jesus. It was a beautiful car. I mean, just sitting on a driveway for years, and she just gave me the pink slip, right? So I had it for a while, and I was trying to save up money to get it painted and to redo the interior and, you know, to get the motor going in and through. And I remember taking it to a friend of mine who owned a classic car restoration shop. And I, I, I said, hey, I got this Impala. It's beautiful. Not a single thing is missing. Not even a cigarette lighter is missing on this baby. I mean, all the chrome trim pieces are there. The body is perfectly straight. There's no rust. I just need a paint job. You know, what, would you, what would you do for your friend? What would you do for your friend? What would you charge your friend for a full paint job? And he goes, oh, that? Uh, that's at minimum one year's labor and nothing less than $10,000. I said, oh, ooh, ooh, ooh. never got it painted. <laughs> I never restored that car. It just sat in my garage until I sold it. And the reason is that I could not afford the cost of restoration. Let me tell you that your restoration and what God wants to give to you and the breakthrough that you may have been hesitating on all your life is so worth the cost. 
We can't be afraid of the pain of going back to finding the healing. We can't be afraid to make a phone call and say, I need a counselor. We can't be afraid to call the pastor and say, pray with me on this. We can't be afraid to say, I need education. I need help. I need perspective. I need prayer to help me because where I'm at right now is not good. I need restoration. I need to be free from my past. I need to be everything that God has called me to do, but it won't happen unless I surrender my rights to say I'm going to be out of my past and live for the uncharted territory of where God is leading to me. So we have to get past our trauma and pray for restoration. The second thing, and this one might sting a little bit, is to stop complaining about the present and to praise God for the now. Stop complaining about the present. Oh, oh my gosh, we have so many first world problems, don't we? You want to see a true Christian? And if they're really a Bible-believing, faithful, loving Christian, cut their Wi-Fi. Shut down. As a matter of fact, just make their Wi-Fi slow. Don't cut it off completely. Make some Wi-Fi real slow, and you'll see the demons manifest. I'll tell you what. We can complain about the dumbest little things. And you know what? Even the, the, in the Bible times, from the very beginning, people were complaining. We look at the Israelites who were in bondage and slavery. I mean, brutal oppression for 500 years. Then God comes with signs and wonders and miracles and the most impressive miracles the world has ever seen. Splits an ocean for them and they're on their way to the promised land, a place where they have houses they didn't build and wells they didn't dig and food galore. And they can live the lives they were created to live. But once they pass that sea and they get into a desert, they're like, all we get is this bread, and they just start complaining. I remember uh, I was preaching on complaining a couple of years ago, and I mentioned this, and I said, because there's a statement they say, well, all we have is this manna, and we hate it here. At least back in slavery, we had cucumbers and melons and onions and garlic. They were literally complaining about spices and the little bit of food. And in the middle of that sermon, my wife busts out laughing. And she's like, the Bible doesn't really, melons, it really says melons? Numbers. Chapter 11, it says melons. They complained about melons. And I just can't believe that God would do such a supernatural thing for somebody, something that we would all, you know, have on our bucket list to experience, to see, I mean, manifest presence of God, fire and smoke, a a sea split. Can you imagine if you could see that with your own eyes and then still have the audacity to complain? But, you know, some of us, we can't get to where God wants to take us because we can't get past complaining. For whatever reason, we have to complain. For whatever reason, we, we, we just feel like we have to talk about all the negativity. And I heard one preacher say one time, and it really stung. He said, complaining, all complaining does is prove how well you can hear the devil's voice. That's all it does. Because you can either complain or you can worship. And by complaining, what you're really saying is, God, you're not big enough. When you complain, you're saying, wow, God, you failed me again. When you complain, you're saying, well, I guess there's no hope for for me. When you complain, you're basically celebrating the devil's work. I know it's subtle, but the devil loves to move in the details and in the subtleties of life. In order to complain, we have to have an ungrateful heart, and that's not of of the kingdom. And in order to complain, we have to have a distracted mind because we're not focusing on the good things of the Lord and what he has for us. Instead, we're focusing on the lack we're focusing on what's going wrong uh, in our world. And, and complaining, it's not only deeply ingrained in our society. I mean, just think of stand-up comedy. What do they do? They stand up there for an hour and complain about things, complain about our world, politics, about relationships, about whatever else, and they make it funny because complaining sells. Complaining also can be used as manipulation. Wives and husbands, have you ever used complaining to get what you want? 
You know, just pester and pester and complain about how uncomfortable this couch is. I can't wait. Or you're in the kitchen. I hate this stove. I hate this stove, you know? And we use it for manipulation at times. And, and unfortunately, it's crept into the church because this is what we do. We get together outside of Sundays in our small groups or our get-togethers or over coffee, and we just tell the most horrific stories of what we've been through in the week. And we share these war stories back and forth with each other. And then we say a little prayer and we call that fellowship. Fellowship is not complaining and then having somebody sympathize over your pain. Oh, honey, I would be so devastated. I'd be so hurt. You have every right to be mad. And we call that fellowship? No, no, no. True biblical fellowship is we hear the brokenness out of our friends and we speak truth into that situation and we uplift and edify our friend. Then we pray and we declare about what God is going to do. That's fellowship. And that's why the Bible says don't forsake the fellowship. This, and why do we come to church in person? Why do we come to church amongst other people? Because iron sharpens iron. We want to fellowship with each other and say, hey, we're not doing this thing alone. I'm here for you. You're here for me. But we're not going to sit here and complain. We're not going to sit here and rub each other's wounds and so forth. We're going to build each other up to what God has called us to do. And that is true biblical fellowship. We got to make changes. And sometimes those changes are difficult. If you wake up every Monday morning, I hate this job. I hate this job. It's Friday. And even though you should be excited for Friday, I still hate this job. Oh my gosh, I feel like I've been here for eight hours and it's only 9.15. Complain, complain, complain. Get a different job. <laughs> get a different job. If not, if you can't get a different job, I understand that, then pray about the root of why you hate your job. Do you feel like you're not living your dream? Do you feel like you're not being compensated? Do you feel like your boss is treating you unfairly? Get to the root about it. Bring God in the middle of that. But we are the ones that have to switch that in our hearts to say, I'm not going to complain. I'm going to praise. And David had to get real serious with themselves. You ever have to talk to yourselves? Slap yourself, you know, back to your senses? David said, praise the Lord, O my soul. If you remember, we are made as a spirit, which is wall to wall, Holy Spirit, perfectly forgiven, no sin, hidden in Christ. Eternally, we will always be our spirit. When we go to heaven, our spirit goes to heaven. Our soul is our mind, will, and emotions. Your personality, that's your soul. And your flesh is just a puppet. It does whatever your spirit and soul tell it to do. So if you let your soul be in charge, your flesh is going to react by whatever your soul is doing. If your spirit man is in charge, it's going to tell your body what to do and manifest healing, manifest good things, manifest all these other things. So David said, praise the Lord, oh my soul. He was probably in a bad mood, probably in some bad emotions, probably thinking bad things. And he says, you better get in line here, buddy. Praise the Lord. I'm commanding you, give God glory. And that's why this morning I just felt like so strongly, I just want to praise God because we've been through a week. We've gone through some stuff, but I don't want to sit here and wallow and complain and, and be stuck in where I'm at. I want to turn my soul to be back focused on what it needs to be focused on. And that's praising God for all he is and all he's done. And gratitude is such a powerful weapon. If you're stuck in your past, start thanking God for some things. Hey, there, there's a cognitive neuroscientist named Caroline Leaf, and one day I'm going to devote a whole sermon to talk about this because it's fascinating. Uh, but she, she speaks in churches all the way around, and she talks about the power of physically re rewiring your brain. There's these little tree-like cells that can be created in your brain called dendrites. Uh, you know, the old saying is that when you learn something new, you get a new wrinkle in your brain. You ever heard that? It was like back in the 80s. But scientifically, when you think a thought, you have anywhere between 24 to 48 hours 
to that thought become semi-permanent in your brain. And your brain will physically create this little tree-like thing around the cells called dendrites, and it stays stuck in your mind. And you get trapped in these thought patterns. You know, a stronghold in the Bible, all a stronghold means is that you've had a bad thought about another bad thought about another bad thought, and you've built up this fortress that's so hard to penetrate through. You've built up all these bad thoughts. You're, you're, you're focusing and renewing your mind in the wrong direction. But she says that if you actually train your brain and reject lies and doubts and all these bad thinking and start dwelling on truth of God and purposely start creating thought habits in your mind, you're physically changing your brain. And if you can physically change your brain, the rest of your body is going to follow suit. So there is power in gratitude. There is power about physically telling yourself, praise God right now. There's nothing wrong if you're in a bad mood to say, I'm going to praise God no matter how I feel. Put a reminder on your phone every hour and that, that little alarm goes off. Oh yeah, I need to praise the Lord. I remember a, uh, a friend of mine used to put a, a sticker on his watch. So every time he checked a time, he see that sticker, it reminds him, I, give God some praise right now, do something. Uh, another friend of mine was dealing with um, uh, not trust issues, but kind of like worry and not knowing if God was really gonna be there for him. So what he did is he took a penny because on the penny, it says, in God we trust. And he put that penny inside of his shoe. And you would think it wouldn't matter, right? But can you imagine walking around all day long with a penny in your shoe? And what that forced him to do was to remind him, I can trust God. I can trust God. Don't lean on my own understanding. I can trust God. So whatever it takes, we got to stop complaining and we got to move to praising God and make it the greatest habit that we have in our lives. The last point here, after we have sought God for restoration and making our souls praise God, is that we have to stop reflecting on our past failures and develop personal, personal revelation. Revelation. Uh, we lived in Houston uh, for about six months. I had a temporary job working for a large Christian conference organization called One Hope. They're still doing great things. And they were going to do a conference before uh, the Rona hit. And uh, we, we were going to have Francis Chan and Carrie Job and all these wonderful people. Lecrae was going to be there. And my job was to be the Houston representative and meet with as many pastors as I could to tell them about this awesome conference. And so in Houston, I don't know if you, if you guys know this or not, but Texas is huge. It's pretty big. I don't know. And even just Houston, which is like 4 million people, it's the fourth largest city in America. And I mean, I could go from where we lived in spring and try to go all the way down to Galveston to meet this little Pentecostal pastor and talk to him about One Hope. I could take me an hour and a half to get down just across the city. And so they started developing these toll roads, which I think there's a toll road in like every city in Texas right now, but they were creating basically a new outer loop, a new freeway of the outer loop of Houston and the county there. And it was called uh, Highway 99. And people go about uh, 270 miles an hour on this road, including the semi-trucks. Oh my Lord. Uh, but I used to take this all the time. And, and we used to go to uh, Pastor Lee's church in Katy, a four-square church in Katy. They're doing phenomenal things. So we go from spring all the way down to Katy. It'd take us 40 minutes, but on the toll road, because there's never any cars on there. We just zoom and get there as quick as we could. And if you know the toll roads, Basically, you just drive, they take a little picture of your license plate, and they so kindly send you a bill in the mail telling you how much you need to pay. Well, weeks were going by, months were going by, I didn't get a bill. And so I'm a, I'm a good Christian boy, and I said, well, I'm not going to have that debt. So I called them up and I said, excuse me, there may be a mistake, because I know I've been on your freeway, and I want to do what a good citizen would do and pay my fees. So uh, here's my license plate number, can you kindly find the fees? And I said, 
sorry, sir, we have no record of your car being on this road. Well, you got to be kidding me. I, I take that twice a week. You got to have something. No, sir. I called every few weeks a total of seven times. And for whatever reason, my cute little sea glass colored Prius was never on their radar. So I finally gave up. I'm like, fine, you don't want my money. I guess I won't give it to you. But there was no record of me ever being on that freeway, which was awesome. But <laughs> a, a preacher will always use a story for anything. And much like my car has no record of it ever being on that freeway, God has no record of your sin. God has no record of your failures. You are hidden in Christ. So when we go before God and we say, oh, Father, I have so sinned against you. I have failed you. Forgive me, forgive me. He's like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? I only see the good things because we are hidden in Christ. When Jesus died for our sins on a cross, did you know this or not? But you weren't born yet. Unless you're 2,000 years old, you weren't born yet. So he's already died for all the sins you will ever commit. So it's more so going to God in repentance than it is begging for forgiveness. We don't have to beg God for forgiveness of forgiveness he's already given to us. Instead, we come to him with the heart that is in repentance and saying, I want to help me to turn away from this. God can work with that. But we can't keep begging God to do something he's already accomplished in our world. And so he keeps no records. So we have failed in the past. Many of us have done some stupid things in the past. We have messed up royally in the past. We have sinned every day against this wonderful God who has done no, no harm to us. We have failed and failed and failed and failed. But you know what? It's not about reflecting on that. We got to stop reflecting on our failure and start repenting so that we can get a revelation. That's the process. It's not wallowing in all the bad things that we have done. It's saying that is bad, but God doesn't see that because he's already forgiven me. So I need to stop doing that. I need to do this. So Father, help me to repent. And what God is going to do, because he's a loving, good father, say, awesome. Here's a revelation. The lights are going to go on. You're going to see something in the scripture like you've never seen before. You're going to get an inspiration. You're going to get the supernatural surge of hope and encouragement that you haven't experienced before that's going to help you draw closer to what God wants you to do. But we got to get that revelation. And then I'll close with this. Um, years ago, that, that same counselor that gave me that analogy about the arrow, um, he was working through uh, some things that I had been hurt by at my first church. My first church was a mega church, 4,000 people, and uh, some of the pastors there, some of the people there uh, really did some things that hurt us. One of the things they did is they wanted to replace us, but they didn't fire us. They just lowered our hours down to like two hours a week, and I was married with the son. It wasn't going to work, and they basically made us quit on our own so that we couldn't get fired by the, by the church. It's just a dumb situation. There was, you know, people, the problem with church is that people are in it, right? And so we got hurt. And I remember sharing this with my friend, the counselor, and saying, I just, I don't want to be stuck with this. I want to think about that pastor. And I, and I want to be able to give him a call today because I like him. And I want to give him a call today and be able to pray for him. I don't want to be shackled by my pastor or anything that he did to wrong me just because he's in that position. He's like, great. And so he helped me with a couple things to to guide through and some prayer and so forth. But then he gave me a challenge and an assignment because that church was, you know, no further than 20 minutes away. And he says, I want you to go to that church and wait till everybody's done leaving the parking lot. And then I want you to get out of your car and I want you to walk that campus. But when you walk that campus, I want you to walk it with Jesus. I said, huh? 
He's like, I want you to have a conversation, a prayer walk, and I want you to go back to that place because at this point, you're healing from pain, but now I want you to be an assignment to go back to that with the lens of the blood of Jesus, and I want you to be an intercessor for that place, to deposit something into a place that once hurt you. And it was tough, but I went there, and what I discovered is that I cannot be afraid of my past. And my encouragement and my challenge to all of us is that if we are ever going to visit our past, let's do so with the glasses, the lens of the blood of Jesus. We should never look to our past or reflect on our past without the blood of Jesus. We want to remember all the stories of our kids growing up. We want to go back to when we fell in love. We want to go back and relive wonderful moments in our history. But we don't want to relive the painful things. We want healing from the painful things. We want testimonies from those painful things. And we can only do that if we go back and do so with the blood of Jesus. It's my prayer for each and every one of us that our past is going to become like an action star who just exploded the bad guys and is walking away from the fire and doesn't even look over his shoulder. I want us to have the heart of a lion, the heart of a champion that says, I will no longer be shackled to my past because all that Jesus is to me and through me, I can walk in the freedom that he has already promised to me. So family, if we can stand up, I want to pray for us as we conclude today and just impart and bless you that this would be stirred up in your heart and that the Father would continue to give you even more revelation throughout this week. So Father, I thank you so much for my friends here. I thank you for the great people that make Southgate what it is. I thank you, God, that for whatever reason you put this on my heart and it may, it may be because some of us still have wounds that need to be healed. So right now in the name of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit, I pray that the healing begins now. I pray, God, that you would work in every heart and every mind in this room right now. Sanctify our imaginations, God. Sanctify our imaginations. May you bless our hearts to be overflowing with supernatural faith. May you give us a supernatural peace that transcends all understanding and help us, God, would you make real to us the power of being freed from our past. Bring strong revelation to your children this week, God. Powerful freeing revelation, personal revelation that helps them to repent and to stop reflecting, to focus on you, and that we can come back here next week with powerful testimonies of what the Lord has done. May you protect my friends. May you fill them up with your love to overflowing. May you be with them throughout all their goings and comings this week. May you fill their workplaces with your presence, their homes with your presence, their hearts with your love. Thank you for your favor. Thank you for your blessing. Thank you for being a good God. We go now in your love and in your favor. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen. God bless you, church family. Have a wonderful week.